Um, well, this is a bit unusual, isn't it, being down here and speaking in this situation? And um, yeah, I've got a bit of competition. Is the view good out there? Maybe, but um, try and focus if you can. That would be absolutely fantastic. That will certainly help me. And um, I'm Steve, by the way. I'm one of the leaders in church. And um, I really want to welcome you to this service this morning, uh, particularly if you're new to church. You're really so welcome here. Um, in the 1960s, a number of people were very, very pessimistic about the church worldwide. They were saying, really, by the end of the 20th century, the church would be just a small minority group. It wouldn't... Be, have any influence in the world it wouldn't be able to do very much but actually at the end of the 20th century and even today statistics tell us that in 2015 a third of all the world would still say that they follow Jesus in some way that they are Christians and the growth, as you might imagine, of the Christian church, that changed around from that position in the 1960s where they were saying it was going to be something which was just going to be a minority thing to this thing that is quite big. The change was due to the growth not in Western Europe or in England or in the UK, but because of what God has done in South America, in Africa and places like China. Much of this growth in the church has been down to the rise of the Pentecostal denominations and theology. The basic idea of Pentecostal theology is that the, what happened in the birthplace of the church when the spirit initially came down, that we, which if you read it in Acts chapter 2, is... The normative, that's the thing that should happen. The church has that still to, available to them, that the Holy Spirit is available to the church. I don't know why that doesn't work. Excuse me. I know. Do I? Let's try that. Um, so, yeah... What is available to us today is the same as the early church had. That's their theology. The Pentecostal denomination started in 1906 in Azusa Street, Los Angeles. Roger Forster writes this about that revival situation, the thing that happened in that place. It was 1906 in a poverty-stricken mission hall in Azusa Street, Los Angeles. There was an enormous explosion of the power of God. The mission was so impoverished that Pastor Seymour used an orange box as his pulpit. We've got an orange floor. And, um, and prayer base. He would put his head inside the orange box and pray and pray. And there came a day when Pastor Seymour decided that he put his head into the orange box and pray without ceasing until God moved. The, mission, the Azusa Street Church prayed and the Spirit of God moved in. 
It was said that the love of God was felt, felt in the area extended around there for about a quarter of a mile, that you could feel the love of God just there. And such was the presence of the Holy Spirit and the miracles that were happening is that they had non-stop prayer and praise for three and a half years, day and night. You think, well, we come to a service for an hour or whatever it is, but this was three and a half years, day and night, because they had the tangible experience of God. And it was that. Holy, and, and that's what then spread out into the world. The Pentecostal churches have emphasised the importance of knowing the work of the Holy Spirit and experiencing the presence of God. To be sure, there is some odd thinking or theology in places. And you may have been hurt by some of that. But I want to encourage you to look beyond that. To the reality that people have had a real experience of a living God. And it's this tangible experience of God that has caused the phenomenal growth in the church in the last 100 or 120 years. So what are we doing today? We're in a mini-series thinking about how can we personally, each one of us, encounter the Holy Spirit in our own lives. And Christians, as we said, the Pentecostal denomination, have found it helpful to shape their lives for good. And to become more like Jesus in character. Now, down the years, Christians have probably found that there are six things, six practices, Holy Spirit's one of them, that have enabled them to become, to be shaped, to become better people and to become like Jesus. The six are there for you. But none of these is perhaps greater or more important than any other. But each one has had its place in church history as being a powerful way to bring people to be more like Jesus. And now, as I said, we're in this series on the Holy Spirit, encountering the Holy Spirit, that God is alive and living and wanting to touch our lives. But it's part of a bigger series, a bigger series about trying to become more like Jesus. And you might say, well, why would I want to become like Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us that that was the original way that we were designed, that we were designed to be in the image of God, to reflect God, to show God, to be like God. That's our originally the way that we're made. And therefore, that's the way that as human beings that we can function best. And secondly, as we begin to experience something of Jesus, we wouldn't, wouldn't we like to have more of a Jesus kind of love in our hearts? Wouldn't we want to have his peace and serenity in difficult circumstances? Wouldn't we want to have more of his joy in difficult times? So wouldn't we want to become more like Jesus? So many good reasons to, to really do that. But this morning we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're looking at this practice of how can we encounter the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what I'm going to look at today is the aspects of having faith. And that can enable us to know. 
in my life there is this huge gap I feel as though there's a kind of gap here between me and you guys. I kind of feel as though I ought to be walking up and down the aisle. But anyway, we're, um, you know, there's this huge gap between, my, between God's promises and my experience. How can we bridge that gap? Well, and I'm going to look at that today. But first, I think we need to remind ourselves of something, of God's promises, his expectations for his believers. They are quite shocking, I think. So let's read from John, John's Gospel. This is stories about Jesus, John's Gospel, in chapter 14, verse 12. This is Jesus saying, he says, Very truly... I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the things that I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do. What a promise that is. Here Jesus is saying that whoever believes in him will do what he has been doing. That is shocking. Impossible. And we just want to say, help, how are we going to do that? But it gets worse. He says that we're going to do greater things. How can that be? Well, he said, well, that was just the early disciples, wasn't it? You know, the apostles, the 12 that followed Jesus. Uh, well, no. Uh, Jesus could have said that, but instead he says, whoever believes. That's you and me, maybe, or if you're not a believer yet, that could be you. That's quite shocking, isn't it? Well, there's a number of ways we could understand this passage. Um, and I don't want you to focus on that, really, or get hung up with a particular view this morning, but accept that. If you look at all the different alternatives, the clear thing is there is a high expectation of what Christians can do as they believe in Jesus. Now, one view is that it's the greater things is a greater scope that Jesus obviously was himself. He was in a particular time and space, wasn't he? But as Christians, each of us carrying the presence of God, we have been able to go out right around the world. So today, a third of people believe in Jesus. That's one way, a greater scope. Another way is a greater quality or depth that we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is so transformational, it's even greater than walking on water. I mean, you think walking on water, that's a pretty amazing thing, really, isn't it? I mean, how can anything be greater than that? But actually, us experiencing, knowing the transformation inside that Jesus brings that enables us to know God and his, something of his eternity and his quality of life is absolutely transformational. And Jesus talks about the um, doing the works of the Father. You know, we, that's what the same as me is doing the works of the Father. And for Jesus, that was included miracles. And I see no reason, real reason, for us not to assume that the church today has that. When you look at the scriptures and when you look at church history. 
the works of the Father. How did Jesus expect us, mere mortals, ordinary people, you and I, who struggle with sin and struggle with all things of life, the key is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and says, because I'm going to the Father, God will send the Holy Spirit on us. You probably realise that anyway. But So let's read from verse 15. It says, if you love me, keep my commands. And this is Jesus speaking. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Another word often used is helper to help you and to be with you forever the spirit of truth the world cannot accept him because he neither knows him or sees him or knows him but you know him for he lives with you and in you fantastic news that the holy spirit can live in us i will not leave you as orphans to struggle on your own i will come with you and later in John, Jesus says it's better that he goes so that the Holy Spirit will come. I mean, how many of us this morning would trade a meeting with Jesus here and now in this room with your current experience of the Holy Spirit? And yet, Jesus says it's better that he goes so that we can experience the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises another advocate, helper. In other words, another word for advocate is helper, comforter, counsellor. As someone once said, the Greek word for another means another. It doesn't, it doesn't mean different. It means exactly the same as Jesus. The Holy Spirit is sometimes in the New Testament called the Spirit of Jesus. And yet for many of us, the Holy Spirit is a familiar term, but actually... A stranger. Holy Spirit is meant to be a friend that we know and experience. How can we bridge that gap of Jesus' promise and our experience? Well, I want to talk about faith this morning. And maybe you already you think, Alp, I'm struggling, our life's so difficult, and yet you're gonna you're expecting me to have faith and have this experience and so on. But actually, the Holy Spirit is not the accuser saying you are rubbish and you can't do stuff. The Holy Spirit is not our adversary. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. The one that comes alongside with help and says, Come on, guys, you can do this. I'll help you. I'll be with you. So, three points about faith. Simply ask, pursue, and depend. At first sight, to know more of the Holy Spirit in our lives is simple. We just need to ask. John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus, this is about um, Jesus, on the last and greatest day of the festival... Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. All we need to do is ask. 
Streams of living water will flow from within us out to others. This asking is faith. We're believing in a promise that he has given. The context of Jesus' promise is incredibly powerful and I only have a little, I don't quite have, I can only talk about it briefly. But Jesus is saying it's according to scripture that the streams of living water will flow into us. In other words, the Old Testament. And he says this on the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Jews of that day did some really, did quite a strange thing. They got huge jars of water and poured the water out of the temple so it flowed down the steps. And on the last day it said that they did it seven times. That they took a huge amount of water and poured it down the steps. And they were thinking of Ezekiel 47 in the Old Testament where Ezekiel sees this prophecy sees this vision of the temple and water flowing out of it and it becomes such a great river that it's so wide that no man could cross and it's so incredibly creates fertility around it so that the trees are laden with fruit to eat and there is healing for the people around and Jesus is saying if you come to me that kind of river can flow out of little you and I into other people's lives. We just need to ask. But sometimes it seems that that flow of the Spirit isn't quite so so huge, isn't it? And there's, we need to pursue God to know more of the Holy Spirit and pursuing when you're pursuing something you haven't quite got it yet you're not seeing it you know that it's true so you're going after it and that is faith as well faith is not sight faith is believing on a promise and chasing after something until you get it and knowing more of that stream and power of the Holy Spirit comes out of a pursuing of God now why does God do that It seems to me that in the pursuing, our motives of why we want more of his presence and Holy Spirit are questions. And our our motives can be changed. And secondly, we then become a character in which the Father can trust more of his presence with us. But as we pursue him, God will answer those prayers. We just need to do what William Seymour did, didn't we, really? We just need to put our head in an orange box and pray and pray until God turns up, don't we? Simple, isn't it? His life was actually one of pursuing God, despite incredible obstacles and difficulty. For one thing, he was black. And the... The Crow Laws in America was, were in place at that time. He was uneducated. He was blind in one eye. And when he was accepted into Bible college, because he was black, he had to sit in the corridor, listening through an open door. Imagine, instead of being here this morning, you were out in the corridor. That's how he learnt about the Bible. And he did it because he was determined to know more of God. But he didn't give up, despite the difficulties. 
And he is considered the father of the Pentecostal movement. So we've looked at ask, and there are so many scriptures that say just, 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 just ask. And there's a sense of pursuing to receive that more. But we need to depend on the Holy Spirit in order to do the works of Jesus. So often we do things in our own strength. Cutting out the Holy Spirit from helping us. That's why when we have to do something that we step out of our comfort zone, that really, we have to depend on God. And that really attracts the Holy Spirit into our lives. John Wimber very much someone from the Pentecostal stream, used to say faith is spelt R-I-S-K, risk. When I started doing a well-being group last autumn that was in the community, I knew that God wanted me to do this. But the funny thing, the ironic thing, is it created anxiety in me to do a well-being course. I was out of my comfort zone. I had to ask God to really help me. And God has been there, to be sure. A few years ago, um, I, I guess the place where I have seen people do the works of Jesus most is in South Africa. Sue and I went there a few, my wife Sue and I went there a few years ago. We joined a team who did outreach in a number of ways. One of which was a, to a group of people who lived on a rubbish dump. The team saw... Literally daily miracles and conversions. And three values really stood out. Their team times were marked with considerable worship. You see, where God is honoured and welcomed, he comes, he's just there. And they gave their lives sacrificially giving out to the margins, the people, the poor. And thirdly, risk. And faith was so much on their agenda. Running a base in on the rubbish dump that was, was really quite a potentially violent place. And going out to people in their houses and praying for them. That was dangerous. And then they reached out to the ladies working on the streets in the city. Sue and I went out one night with, with them. It was dark. It was scary. And the pimps were circling around and round and round, making sure that we weren't distracting their, their ladies working. It was a scary place. It was risky. And also they would use every opportunity to pray for people and prayed for the sick. But my overwhelming experience of that was that the team in South Africa, the flow of the Spirit was tangible it was real there was something of God there now I need to say surely risks are dangerous and we do need to consider carefully what we do I've, I've found this this quote from President Roosevelt really helpful to me um, and um, it's quite a long one but I think it's worth just thinking a little bit about it's not the critic who counts, nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or the where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strides valiantly, who errs, and comes up short again and again. 
because there is no effort without errors or shortcoming. But who knows the, But he knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy course, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, or who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls that knew neither victory or defeat. The quote gives us three possibilities. Success, failure, or doing nothing. The experience of Peter walking on the water gives actually another one that I just want to bring out to you. As Jesus was walking on the water across the Lake Gallery and the disciples were in the boat and, G- and Peter sees Jesus and says, if that's you, Jesus, tell me to come out to you on the water. And as Peter begins, he, he actually makes a choice. One of the choices we have is to get out of the boat, do something. The second possibility was that as Peter gets out of the water, he, could, he starts to walk on the water, doesn't he? Until the wind and waves, he sees them, and then he begins to sink. That's the third scenario. But the fourth scenario, as we step out with Jesus, is that he reaches out a hand to Peter and saves him. And touches him and he experiences in that failure that sense of God's grace and love and help and that rescue. And I love John Altbird's book, which he says that's titled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Step Out of the Boat. In fact, if you think of a stream that stream of water that ends in a pool with no outlets, you can end up with stagnant water. And um, in this world, you know, we enjoy our stuff, our material stuff, by holding on to it and enjoying it for ourselves. But the Christian life is completely the opposite. It's only as we give away our Christian life that we get to keep it. It's only as we give away the Jesus that we have, that we get to keep the presence and joy and faith and peace and hope in our own hearts. If we share our faith, step out and bring an encouraging word and pray for the sick, or we're just simply and importantly loving and serving in our daily lives with dependence on the Holy Spirit, the living water of Jesus and his Holy Spirit will be coming out of us. I don't know your situation today. I know a number of you struggle in various different ways. But we can all love by dependence on the Holy Spirit. Mother Teresa said we can't all do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. And maybe you're thinking, this is all about um, doing. This is all about doing the Jesus stuff, doing the Jesus works. And in some senses that's true, but actually history and experience is that if you know that you've stepped out doing things, and if you've seen God and you know God, you know he's real and living and active, then you think, oh, 
I'd really love to walk with God all my life and do what pleases him and do stuff together. And that begins to change us, our characters, to become someone who is like Jesus with that character full of love and joy and peace that we talked about earlier on. Well, what does this all mean to us practically? How can we know more of the Holy Spirit in our lives? How can we know more of this God? Very simply, it's about relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force or a power. He is a person. And as we respect his presence, we will know more of him. Putting it negatively, it might be about removing the rocks that stop the flow of that river of the Spirit. Many years we went to Dunster, Dunster Beach, and one of my favourite pastimes was to dam up the river. The children, they were less interested, but I usually managed to persuade them. And so we would dam up this river and stop the water from flowing down to the sea. Well, we'd slowed it down, really. But likewise, there are rocks in our lives that stop the living flow of the Holy Spirit from Jesus in us and out to other people. There are, there are a number, and Sue talked about sin and our needing to be holy. And if we grieve the Holy Spirit, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin. When we do, you know, imagine being with someone and, and you're, they're doing stuff you don't like. You're not going to spend quite, you're not going to be there quite so much with them if you like. But the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is as soon as we say, sorry, he's there. He's the advocate. He's the one who comes alongside us. He is not the accuser. He's the helper. He says, come on, let's do it together. Come on. The sad thing about Azusa Street, Azusa Street was one of the main reasons why it actually stopped after three and a half years was they started to segregate black and white again. It started as a multi-racial thing. And then as it began to segregate in accordance with the laws of the land, it fizzled out locally in that place, although people who had experienced God went around the world. Another rock, so sin is one of the rocks. Another rock is honour, and I mentioned that, that sense of worship. If you ignore someone who is there with you, well, you're not going to have much of a relationship, are you? So honour is really critical. Another one is if you're with someone, you're just not listening to them. They're not going to be, you're not going to have much of a relationship. So Esther spoke wonderfully about hearing God's voice. He's speaking. He wants to, you to hear and know. I'd really recommend you listen to that talk. It was such a wonderful invitation to hear God. And then what I've been talking about is faith, a dependence on God. That is a, independence is a huge rock to stop the flow of the Spirit of God. But as we, as we work in dependence, he will flow through us. Where are we getting out of the boat? And daring greatly by being in the arena. Are we reviewing our lives for sin in our lives? Are, are we making worship a practice 
are we learning to hear his voice? As we build a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we will experience God and want to know more him. And I want to end here. Wherever you are today, you're not even sure you believe in this stuff. You're struggling. You're bored. Well, he did go on a bit, didn't he? And for, or maybe you're just going for it, you know? And I hope some of you really, really are. Because there's no greater life, I think. The promise of Jesus remains that he wants to be your advocate, your helper, the one that comes alongside to help you in your struggles and difficulties. And his promise is, and the Bible is full of promises that say, like Jesus, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And streams of living water will flow from within. Let's pray. But before we do that, just I, I had a, I was reminded of a picture this morning, of a, as when I, as a child, we were in Helford River in a sailing boat. The tide was going out. We were really struggling because there was no wind and we were being pushed out to sea. We had, the, the row locks were not all there. We couldn't row in. And I was, I remember it, but I wasn't frightened because my dad was there. God wants to be with you wherever you are and help you by his spirit. And I think that's for somebody today. Lord God, thank you that you're so loving, so forgiving. The name of Jesus. Jesus means saviour, forgiver. And you want to come alongside to help us. Help us, God. We fail all the time. Help us to know you. Amen.